Thank you all for being here this afternoon and for our afternoon service. And as we go through uh, the study this afternoon, I hope that what I had to say will be helpful to you in some way. We've been going through the book of Ephesians, or I've been going through the book of Ephesians, rather. Um, and hopefully you've been going with me and I've not confused everybody. And uh, as we make a transition into the second half of the book of Ephesians, I, I really wanted to talk about this pivot point that we find at the beginning of chapter 4. Because I think it very clearly is a pivot point when Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. We talked a lot about how Paul spent the first half of the book of Ephesians in rich, deep, profound theology. What God has truly done for us, the blessings that we have because of God's eternal purpose and his plan that he's realized in Jesus Christ. The, the grand demonstration of God's wisdom and power through the church and how as Christ was raised and exalted, we are raised and exalted with him. And this verse here is a pivot point, if you will, where Paul is saying, therefore, because of everything I've talked about, this is the kind of walk you should walk as a Christian. And there are 41 imperatives in the Greek in the book of Ephesians. And what that means, an imperative is a command. So in the English language, you know, if I tell my kids, take out the trash, that's a command. That's an imperative. I might say, I would really appreciate it if someone would take out the trash. Now, hopefully my kids will still take that as a command, but the, the grammar behind that is not imperative. It's, I believe, indicative, if I'm doing that right. Uh, Sister Nancy will correct me later if I'm wrong, I, I hope. Uh, or I might say, would you please take out the trash, which still is a command, but it's a question. It's an inter interrogative. But in the Greek, when, when Paul lays out these commands in the book of Ephesians, there are 41 of those. But only in the first three chapters, only one occurs. There's only one imperative in chapters 1 through 3. The rest of them occur, all 40 of them occur in chapters 4 through 6. And so we have this big stack of commands that Paul is now going to throw at us. But we needed that strong foundation of theology, we needed the reason behind it. We needed the faith-building experience of understanding what God has really done for us. A strong foundation for those 41 commands to be supported by, or those 40 commands to be supported by. And so as we go through the rest of the book of Ephesians, I want to understand and always keep in the back of our mind the importance of understanding the theology of the first three chapters and knowing that the commands that we find in chapters 4 through 6 are only possible and indeed meaningful because of what God has done for us in the work of Christ and the power that we have because of that. So let's keep those in mind as we go through. And I just want to talk about this worthy walk that he talks about here. And very briefly this afternoon, just mention a few things that I, that I think can serve as a framework for us as we get into the specifics of the Christian walk. And first of all, that the walk is worth it and worthy of it. And I'll show you what I mean by that. In, in, back in our text here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. And Paul uses this phrase again. If you remember, he uses that in chapter 3. A prisoner of the Lord. Why does Paul go back to this statement? Why does he refer to his imprisonment again? And we talked last time about how Paul breaks off into this sort of parenthetical statement about, about he doesn't want them to be discouraged. And so he talks about why it was worth it for him to be in prison. And how he didn't consider that to be something that was 
foisted upon him by God, but rather it was a privilege and a duty and an honor for him. And I think he's giving us the same message here. When it comes to walking in the Christian walk in the manner that's worthy of the calling, he's saying it's worth it for me to be in prison. It's worth it for any suffering that I might do if I can get across to you the importance of this in living our lives in a way which reflect what God has done for us. And so we read in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 13, I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Don't lose heart. And so again, what he's saying here is the walk is worth it. If I'm willing to be in prison. I'm willing to suffer whatever I need to suffer if you can understand the importance of walking in the manner worthy of what you've been called. And I think also by implication, what he's saying here is some of you might have to suffer in a similar way. Some of you may have to go to prison. Some of you might have to suffer persecution. Some of you might have to die because of your Christian walk. But I want you to know it's worth it. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. You know, sometimes when we have a decision to make, an important decision, we might sit down at the table with our pencil and a big chief tablet and make a couple of columns and do pros and cons. We might look at one side and say, okay, if I make this decision, this is the positives. If I make this decision, here's the positives. And we compare and we contrast. What Paul is saying here is I'm not even going to get out my pencil. I'm not getting out my big chief tablet. It's not even worth comparing. Whatever I'm suffering, whatever I'm going through, it's not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I'm not even going to worry about it. And so I think he puts this in here, this prisoner of the Lord, to remind them that it's worth it. Whatever cost we have to pay, whatever suffering we might endure because of our Christianity, it's worth the cost. And keep that in mind as you go about your Christian walk. Number two, talking about this worthy manner he talks about. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. What does that mean? Does that mean that now that we're a Christian, we have to walk in a way that that earns us salvation, that I have to be worthy of salvation now? That's not what he says. He's not saying you're worthy of salvation. It's you're worthy of the calling to which you've been called, and you're walking in a manner that's consistent with everything that he's already talked about, with what Christ has done for us, and the lengths that God has gone to to secure our salvation, and we can be confident in that salvation, and now our lives should reflect the fact that we understand what he's done for us, and we're living now in a manner that is consistent with that calling. He uses similar language here in 1 Corinthians 11 when talking about the Lord's Supper. And I know Danny's eventually going to get there, but I want to just mention this here today. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. You know, I've heard people say before to actually tell me, I didn't take a communion today because I just didn't feel worthy. I had a bad week. I made some mistakes. And I just didn't feel worthy to take of the communion. Because they take this verse out of context. Or, or in my, my understanding is you've just read the verse wrong. Because I just don't know how you can read this and come away with, I had a bad week and so therefore I can't take communion. Because that's when you need it the most. When you understand and you realize the mistakes you've made and are humble enough to say, I had a bad week, that's when you need it the most. And Paul is not saying here, you can't take communion unless you live up to it the week before. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is the manner in which you partake of communion. Your humility, 
You coming in up with this attitude of sincerity and integrity, knowing I don't deserve this. And thank God that he provided me a way because I don't deserve it. That's the whole point of Jesus Christ, isn't it? I don't deserve any of this. And so when he's talking about walking in a manner worthy, he's not talking about living a perfect and sinless life. What he's talking about is you're living your life in a way that reflects that you understand and realize what God has done for us. It's about intention. It's about sincerity. It's about motives. And when we go into this, we can't be burdened with this concept of I've got to do it perfectly because we're going to fail. And it's not about what I'm doing anyway. It's about what Jesus has already done. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his, of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So how do we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him? We bear fruit in every good work. We increase in the knowledge of God. And the only way to do that is getting word. You're going to see this come back over and over this afternoon as we talk about this. The knowledge of God, learning to discern the will of God, it's all going to come back to that. And that shows us the importance of getting in the book and learning it. And we each have a responsibility individually to do that as well. So now he's going to talk a little bit about relationships and unity. Look in verse 2, he says, With all humility and gentleness and patience, Bearing with one another in love. You know, you might look at this at first hand and think, okay, well, well, where is he going with this? Now, in the next few verses, Paul's going to talk about Christian unity, unity in the church. And we'll get into that next time. But he starts off talking about these things like humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. It's all about relationships. So what does that have to do with walking in a worthy manner. What's it have to do with the Christian walk? You may have noticed in our first slide that I had up there today the picture of, of the people walking. It wasn't one person. It was a group of people. And I was very intentional with that image because, brothers and sisters, this Christian walk is not done in solitude. We don't do this alone. And Paul has spent a good majority of the first half of the letter to the Ephesians talking about us coming together as the body of Christ, the household of God, the family of God, brothers and sisters. And the church, this Christian walk was not designed to be done alone. It's designed to be done as a family. And I think that is key to understanding everything else that comes after this. Because you and I, when we talk about our Christian walk, we may think about my Christian walk, but it's really our Christian walk. And yes, we have individual responsibility, and we understand that, but we do it together. We work together. We, sometimes we're going to have to support one another. And so we need to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14, he says something similar. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, excuse me, and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. He's adding forgiveness. He's adding a couple of other things, compassion. Why? Because these are all about relationships, and he understands that our relationship in the church is going to make us that much stronger in our Christian walks. Sometimes we're going to have to support one another. 
Sometimes we're going to have to encourage one another. Sometimes we're going to have to lift each other up. And sometimes we're going to have to hold each other accountable. That's what the Christian walk is all about. So Paul likes to use this phrase referring to our way of life as a walk. A lot of the the Bible writers do it. We see it all throughout Scripture. Walking in a certain way. And what he means by that is it's your way of life. It's how you live. It's your day-to-day. It's your routine. How are you walking in this life? And I want to just take a look at a few things, a few examples of this in the book of Ephesians alone. There are others in scriptures we could look at, but, and I want to kind of use this again as a framework to sort of get our, maybe a lens, if you will, to view all these commands that Paul's going to give us in the latter half of Ephesians. First one find is in Ephesians chapter 2, and it's how not to walk. He says, you were once dead, or you were dead, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This used to be the way you walked in your trespasses and sins, but it's not anymore. He said, you were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The Christian walk is is not a walk that is encompassed by sin. That's not the path that Jesus blazed for us. That's the path that Satan blazes where sin is, where sin and trespass is. And if we're following that kind of walk, then we're following Satan. We're not following Christ. The prince of the power of the air, that's who who that is. That's Satan. The spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. That's where it comes from, the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. It all starts up here. What we're thinking about, what we desire. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The rest of the world walks this way. We don't walk this way. We don't walk in sin. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, he talks about the way that the Gentiles walk. He says, this, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He's not talking about Gentile Christians. He's talking about Gentiles that have not been converted to Christianity. How do they walk? They walk in the futility of their minds or the uselessness of their minds. What does futility mean? Some of you may know the phrase resistance is futile. It's from an old Star Trek deal from years and years ago. They come in and invade and they say resistance is futile. Why? Because it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how much you fight. It doesn't matter what you think you can accomplish. We're going to invade and we're going to take over no matter what. And so when he's talking about the futility of their minds, they're talking about things that they think about that just don't matter. It's insignificant. Now, are there things that we can think about entertainment-wise and, and all that kind of things that, that don't really relate to Scripture? Are we allowed, is Lane allowed to like college football like he talked about the other night? Of course, we're not talking about those kinds of things. We're talking about letting those kinds of, if all Lane likes to do is college football, then we got a problem. What he's talking about here is a pattern of behavior in the way that we think and the way that we perceive our worldview. It's just useless. There's nothing, there's no point in it. He says they're darkened in their understanding. Their understanding of what? Of God's law, of God's will. And so they're alienated from the life of God. Why? Because of the ignorance that is in them. You know, when I was growing up, people would use the word ignorant like an insult. I say, man, you're just ignorant. Like it's a you know, like it's a choice. You know, ignorance is a choice. We can choose to learn because ignorance just means it's a lack of knowledge or a lack of information. 
But what happens when we alienate ourselves? We're living in ignorance. Ignorance of God's word. Why? Due to the hardness of their heart. And we see a, a cycle here, a pattern, a downward spiral, if you will. It starts with this callousness of, I don't really care what God has to say or care what the message is. And so for that, I hard my heart and I'm ignorant of God's word. Sometimes I'm willingly ignorant, as the scripture says. My understanding is darkened. I therefore think useless thoughts and therefore I'm alienated from God. Don't walk in ignorance. Get in the word. Know God's will. Don't spend all of your time on useless and futile things. Instead, walk in good works. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Walk in good works. You know, I think this shows us, if by implication it's not clear, using the, the, the analogy of walking, if it's not clear that Christianity is not a passive thing, but it's an active thing, that's what he's saying here. Walk in good works. Our faith, our Christianity is more than just a mental acknowledgement that Christ is Lord. It's more than just saying, I believe in Jesus. We were having a discussion before church this afternoon. Justin was talking about an, a, an article or something he read on the internet about some guy talking about the thief on the cross and how he, you know, the guy was basically saying, what did the thief on the cross have? He wasn't baptized. He didn't say a sinner's prayer. He didn't do all these great works. He didn't listen to all these preachers. He simply believed in Jesus and he was in paradise. Completely taking the story out of context, completely removing any other theology other than what happened in the moment. But that's the way the majority of the Christian world believes. All I've got to do is believe in Jesus, and nothing else matters. The works I do don't matter. My response to the cross doesn't matter. What God has written down in his word doesn't matter. As long as I believe in Jesus, everything's okay. And that is not what the scriptures teach, and that is not what the Christian walk is all about. The Christian walk is a walk. It's active, and it's a response to the good works that God has prepared beforehand for us. And again, the only way we're going to know what that is is to get in the Word. So keep that in mind as we go through the rest of the book of Ephesians as well as the walk, the Christian walk, is about being active in good works. Walk in love. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. You know, love... We've already talked about it this morning, at least indirectly, with our relationships and unity. Love's a big part of that. He says you need to walk in love, but not in the way the world defines love. And we could spend hours talking about what that is. But at the end of the day, walk in love as Christ has loved us. Be imitators of God, he says. God invented love, real love. He says that's the way you need to walk. Well, how did God love us? How did Christ love us? He gave himself for us. Sacrifice. You know, if we're going to develop relationships, if we're going to help each other in the church, sacrifice is going to be a part of that. Justin talked last week in his study in Thessalonians about sacrifice. And there's really no getting around it. There's no way 
to avoid it because the Christian life is going to involve sacrifice. There's going to be something in your life that you want or desire or feel like you need that at some point you're going to have to say, I'm going to give that up for the Christian walk. And chances are it's going to be, I'm giving that up so I can help someone else do this. Whether it's time, whether it's money, whether it's sinful behavior, whatever the case may be, you're going to have to give it up if you want to walk in love, if you want to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Walk as children of light, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Don't be partners with the sons of disobedience. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are a light in the world. Walk as children of light. A few months ago, uh, I don't want to call her out, but I will. Our sister Nancy was going through the book of John, or 1 John, and she was giving her uh, paraphrase on certain things. And I told her, I'd pay cash money for a whole commentary written by you in that kind of language. That was pretty awesome, I thought. And so if I could paraphrase in that way, what he's saying here is live like you've been saved. That's what he's saying here. You used to be in darkness. You were with these sons of disobedience. You lived your life in a way. You were walking in your sins and trespasses. You were walking like the Gentiles in the futility of their minds. He said, but now you've been saved and live like it. Show to the world that something is different. Listen, hey, Lane talked Wednesday night about this. We do things in darkness because we don't think they're seen or we don't want them to be seen. You don't sneak out of the house in the middle of the day. You sneak out of the house in the middle of the night because you think you're not being seen. Even though rationally we know that God sees everything, but he's saying you need to come out of that darkness. You need to live your life now in such a way that it's not trying to hide what you do, but you're, you've got it out in plain sight. I don't have anything to hide. People used to talk about like the Alexa and all those devices, all the CIAs listening to you. You got that thing in your house. You might as well just invite CIA in. Maybe they are. I don't know. I don't have anything to hide. What does what the CIA want to be in my house for? What are they going to get out of that? And that's how we need to live our lives. Out in the open, I have nothing to hide. I'm living and walking after Christ. The fruit of the light is found in all that is good, right, and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, he says in verse 10. How are you going to do that? Get in the word. How are you going to know what is good and right and true? You know, the world looks at something and says, if a majority of the people believe it, then it's true. And so you have all these advocacy groups in our country, people who advocate for same-sex marriage, or they advocate for abortion, or they advocate for all this sinful behavior, and they say it's true because all these people say it's true. But a majority doesn't make something true. Being sincere about something doesn't make it true. Only God can do that. And you're only going to find what is good and right and true. You're only going to be able to discern what is pleasing to the Lord if you get in the book. That's all there is to it. Your Christian walk, walking as children of light, is dependent upon that. Finally, walk in wisdom. We had a great sermon this morning about the wisdom of the world. I don't want to try to rehash all that because it was said well this morning. Look carefully then how you walk. First of all, notice what he says here. Look carefully 
than how you walk. This is intentional. This isn't accidental. My boys used to be in Cub Scouts and, and Boy Scouts, and one time Grayson and I were with a, another uh, man and his son, and we went on a hike through Camp Dong Harrington, uh, just south of town here. And this man had gotten a map of the campgrounds, and he had planned out our, our hike and all the different points we wanted to see. And he mentioned, you know, we're going to stop here and take a water break and maybe see this uh, rock formation or whatever. We're going to have lunch here. We're going to get here this afternoon, and we're going to do a service project. He had it all planned out. It was a very intentional walk. Paid very careful detail to it. You know, we just can't sit out on our, set out on our Christian walk and just hope everything goes okay. We've got to be careful in it. We've got to be considering. We've got to be deliberate and intentional. And he says, not as unwise, but as wise. So again, what does wise mean? Well, the world looks at the cross. The Jews looked at the cross and said, that's foolishness. Our Messiah has been prophesied for thousands of years. Our Messiah is not going to die on the cross. He's going to liberate us. He's going to set us free. He's going to take revenge on those nasty Romans. That's foolishness. As Danny said this morning, the Gentiles are going to look at the cross and say, that's, that's capital punishment. Why would you be, have hope from something like that? Wisdom comes from God. He says, making the best use of your time. That's where it starts, by the way. Other translations say redeeming the time. What are we spending our time doing? Time is precious. Time is short. And not that we can't have recreation, not that we can't have good times, but at the end of the day, what are we spending the majority of our time doing? Redeem the time. Make the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. The opposite of being foolish is what? But understanding what the will of the Lord is. It all comes back to the Word of God. That's where wisdom is found. True wisdom is found in the Scriptures, in the book of Proverbs, in the book of Psalms, all throughout the Bible. That's where true wisdom is found, and it's found by walking the walk according to the way God has laid it out in His Word. There's that group of people on the walk together. That's what it's all about. I don't know if this is a hike or what it is, but I know one thing, they're going to be more successful at it because they're together than they would if it was just one person. You know, the walk of a Christian, as we talk about that in greater detail, as we go through the book of Ephesians, I want you to consider the things we talked about today and, and use that as a lens to view them and understand. If you don't take anything else from this afternoon, please take this with you, that we're in this together. And it's not a solitary type of walk, but we're supporting one another, we're loving one another, we're forgiving one another, and we're unified in God's Word. If there's ever any doubt how to walk, I want you to consider the one we're following. In 1 John chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Listen to what he says here. 
And by this we know that we have come to know him. How? If we keep his commandments. How are you going to know if you know the Lord? Is it a a warm, fuzzy feeling you have? Is it just the fact that a majority of the people say, this is the way things are, and so that's what I believe, and therefore I know the Lord? John says, if you want to know if you know the Lord or not, keep his commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 4, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar. That's pretty blunt. A lot of people in this world claim to know Jesus. Do they keep his commandments? If they don't, they're a liar. And the truth is not in him. Verse 5, whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Now listen to what he says, verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Remember who it is we're following. And remember, never forget that it's because of what Jesus has done for us that the walk is even possible and that it has any meaning. Because without Christ, without God's eternal purpose and plan, without the salvation that comes because of God's grace and his mercy and his love, these 40 commands that happen in the second half of Ephesians don't mean anything. They're nothing but a burden that you can't bear. But because of Jesus Christ, we have the power and the ability and the responsibility to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. If you've not begun that walk today, don't wait till you think you're worthy. Like we talked about earlier with the, the church at Corinth and their ideas of, of communion. And some people's ideas of communion today of I just don't, I'm not worthy enough. You're never going to be worthy enough. You're never going to be good enough. That is why Jesus died for you. And so start your walk today. If you've never been obedient to the gospel and baptism, take care of that right now. Don't wait any longer. If you're willing to repent of your sin, if you're willing to confess Jesus as the Son of God and meet his blood in the water of baptism, be raised to walk. There's that phrase, raised to walk in newness of life. Don't wait another day. Take care of that right now. If you need the prayers of the church, please come have a seat on the front row while we stand and sing.